Hi, everyone. Welcome back to our Tech Savvy Podcast Hour. I'm your host, Tom. And I'm Jen. Today, we've got an intriguing topic on the table, efficient parallelization layouts for large-scale distributed model training. Sounds like a mouthful, doesn't it, Tom? It sure does, Jen. But don't let the jargon intimidate you. What this really boils down to is finding smart ways to train massive computer models that really couldn't fit in a single computer across many machines without wasting resources. Exactly. So let's start with the basics. When we talk about these models, think of them as super complex puzzles that need tons of computing power to solve. They've become so big that one computer, even a powerful one, just can't handle the load. And that's where the concept of parallelization comes in. To solve these puzzles, these models, we split them up into smaller pieces and work on those pieces across many different computers all at once. It's like a team of people working on different parts of a puzzle together. But it's not as simple as just splitting it up. Each piece of the puzzle, or the model, needs to communicate with the others to make sure they all fit together properly in the end. This communication is where things can get tricky. Now let's introduce some terms. The paper we're discussing talks about things like data, model, and pipeline parallelism, different strategies for splitting up the puzzle. Data parallelism is like giving each computer its own mini puzzle, but using the same guide image. They work independently and then share what they've learned. With model parallelism, it's more like slicing the puzzle into vertical strips. Each computer works on a strip, but needs to line up the edges with its neighbors. And pipeline parallelism is similar to an assembly line. Each computer adds a piece before passing it down the line. But watch out for pipeline bubbles, times when computers sit idle waiting for something to do. To complicate matters further, these strategies can be mixed. This is called 3D parallelism. Imagine dividing the puzzle by both rows and columns, then also using an assembly line. That's the level of complexity we're talking about. And our puzzle analogy fits perfectly with what's called activation checkpointing. Imagine you're doing a puzzle and can't remember every piece you've placed. So you occasionally check a cheat sheet. That's checkpointing. It can save memory, but slow you down at times. The paper we're discussing threw all these ideas into a blender with the latest tech optimizations and sought the perfect mix. They found, for instance, that working in the tiniest possible batches often led to high efficiency as it lessens memory woes and idle time. They also touched on the concept of fused kernels, another optimization technique. Think of it like a puzzle where some pieces are already connected right out of the box, saving you time. One of the key optimizations talked about is flash attention, which minimizes the need for data shuffling back and forth, a common time waste. It's like having a direct line of sight to each puzzle piece you need so you don't have to search for it. With all these strategies, the study finds the most efficient ways to train humongous language models across tons of GPUs or graphics processing units. Think of them as brains of the computer strictly for image processing and intense calculations. And the conclusion? It's all about balance. Small enough to manage, but big enough to maintain efficiency. It's like having the right size and number of pieces for your puzzle-solving speed. Well, that's all for this episode. We hope we've turned this highly technical paper into a digestible story about teamwork, puzzles, and smart strategy. Until next time, keep your thinking caps on and your computers training. Thanks for tuning in.
Are you tired of sitting in traffic, your morning coffee splashing onto your lap as you hit yet another pothole? Do you grimace at the thought of squeezing onto a crowded bus where personal space is as mythical as a pleasant Monday morning? Well, squeeze and grimace no more, my transit-troubled friends. Introducing Hyperpogo Loop Inc., the bounce to your blues, the spring in your step, literally. Picture this, you soaring over rush hour traffic, wind in your hair with the innovative Hyperloop-powered pogo stick. That's right, Jen. Why drag along at a snail's pace when you can leap at a lightning-fast 600 miles per hour? Just imagine the snoozing commuters' faces as you pogo past their sad stationary cars. And with our cutting-edge technology, you'll be shooting through tunnels like a human cannonball, but with significantly more control and far less risk of joining the circus. Each eco-friendly stick comes with a helmet designed by top engineers, because while bouncing sky-high over the city sounds epic, safety is no laughing matter. Plus, we've thrown in a complimentary motion sickness bag, but with our patented smooth bounce tech, we doubt you'll need it. So say goodbye to traditional transit and hello to sky-high supersonic pogo-eyeing. With Hyperpogo Loop Inc., you're not just commuting, you're making an entrance. And as a special offer for our listeners only, use promo code POGOPODCAST to get an extra pair of grip socks for those extra grippy landings. Hyperpogo Loop Inc., because why roll when you can ricochet? Visit hyperpogoloop.com to order yours today. Bounce above the rest. Welcome back, dear listeners, to another episode of our podcast where we decode complex topics into digestible bits. I'm Tom. And I'm Jen. Today we have a really exciting and, dare I say, a mind-expanding topic for you. We're diving into the world of physical simulation and a method that promises to take it to the next level. Diffusion Generative Multifidelity Learning. Right, Jen. Now, before anyone panics, we're going to peel this onion one layer at a time. First off, Imagine you're playing a video game, and the game has to simulate physics, like how water flows or how a building crumbles. These simulations are powered by complex mathematical models and can take a lot of computer power. Exactly, Tom. These models solve what are known as partial differential equations, or PDEs. For instance, to see how heat spreads in a room when you open a window. But running these simulations, especially at high fidelity, can be super costly in terms of time and resources. Now, what if we told you there's a way to train a model that can predict the outcome of these simulations without actually running the full simulation? This is where multifidelity surrogate learning comes into play. With multifidelity learning, the idea is to train a model using examples from both high fidelity, that's the accurate but costly simulations, and low fidelity, the less accurate but cheaper to run simulations, data. It's like you're learning from both the final term paper and the rough drafts at the same time. And that's not even the coolest part. The recent breakthrough we're discussing today is about thinking of the simulation output. Imagine it as an image, as something that can be created from random noise through a process known as diffusion. Imagine you have a clear picture. That's your final simulation output. The diffusion process gradually adds noise to this image, like static on a good old TV screen, until it becomes completely random and fuzzy. Now for the magic of denoising. This is where we reverse the noise adding process. So we start from randomness and gradually remove noise to arrive at the clear image or simulation output. 
This is done using a model based on stochastic differential equations. To train this model, you need a score model, a function that gives you a nudge on how to reduce the noise to get to the image. Additionally, you want this generation process to be controlled by inputs like the PDE parameters and fidelity. This generation produces an array. Think of it as a multi-dimensional grid that holds your simulation data. And with techniques borrowed from image segmentation, called UNET, combined with some machine learning magic, we can efficiently predict these multi-dimensional arrays. What's amazing is that this forms a unified perspective regardless of whether the fidelity is continuous or discrete. The condition is always the same. In simpler terms, you're using fewer broad strokes or details, and the method works with both. And the results? They boast a significant reduction in error when predicting solutions for benchmark PDEs and can be applied to areas like predicting how heat travels or optimizing structures in engineering. It's important to note that while this method, known as Diffusion Generative Multifidelity Learning, or DGMF for short, is not only efficient with regards to accuracy, but also in terms of computational resources, it's much faster than numerical solvers. Absolutely, Jen. And there you have it, folks, an intuitive breakdown of Diffusion Generative Multifidelity Learning. It may sound complex, but when you break it down, it really is about simulating and predicting the world around us more efficiently. We'll continue to keep our eyes on this space and bring you more updates on such fascinating advancements. Thank you for tuning in today, and as always, stay curious. That's all for now, everyone. Until our next episode, this is Tom. And Jen. Signing off. Are you tired of the same old terrestrial toast? Tired of bland buns that barely boost your breakfast? Then buckle up, bread buffs, because Luna Loaf Extraterrestrial Bakeries is about to rocket your taste buds straight to the sea of tranquility. With our zero-g dough kneading technique, every loaf is lighter than astronaut small talk. Craving that crater-filled crust? You'll swear our moonbeam baguette was teleported right from the lunar surface to your dinner table. And get this. Sprinkled with real moon dust, our baguettes make your molars moonwalk with crunchiness. Look up at the night sky and catch a crumb trail, because we're launching fresh baguettes back to Earth every full moon. Sustainable? Check. Fashionable? Double check. Each Luna Loaf comes in a space capsule you can repurpose for compost or the coolest cat helmet on the block. Remember, folks, bringing the crust of the moon to your table, if it didn't defy gravity, it just ain't a Luna Loaf. Tune in next week for another episode brought to you by the Bake From Beyond, Luna Loaf Extraterrestrial Bakeries. Hello and welcome to our special podcast episode on NeuroGPT, developing a foundation model for EEG. I'm Tom. And I'm Jen. Today we're diving into the exciting world of brain-computer interfaces and artificial intelligence. Let's kick things off with what EEG is. EEG stands for electroencephalography, which is a method used to measure electrical activity in the brain. Right, and this technology is incredibly valuable in areas like medicine and research. But Tom, there's been a bit of a hurdle when it comes to EEG data, hasn't there? Exactly, Jen. EEG data is both scarce and heterogeneous, which means it's tough for deep learning methods, which often require loads of data, to be effective. This scarcity and variety among subjects can make it hard to build models that work well for everyone. And that's where the paper we're discussing today, NeuroGPT, 
Developing a Foundation Model for EEG, comes in. The authors are proposing a new kind of model to overcome these challenges. Let's unpack this a bit, shall we? Definitely. The core of the proposal is a foundation model that consists of an EEG encoder and a GPT model. Now, GPT stands for Generative Pre-Trained Transformer. These have been hugely successful in natural language processing. The idea is similar to how large language models can understand and generate text. Here, they're adapting that approach to make sense of EEG data. To make this work, they start by pre-training the foundation model on a large-scale public EEG dataset. Pre-training here involves learning to reconstruct masked chunks of EEG data, a bit like predicting the next word in a sentence, but with brainwaves. This pre-trained model is then fine-tuned on a specific task, in this case, motor imagery classification, which involves imagining moving different parts of your body. But Tom, the cool part is they do this with a much smaller data set, just nine subjects, to show that the foundation model can really improve classification performance. That's impressive. It means even with limited EEG data, the model can generalize well to new subjects. It's pioneering work for brain-computer interfaces and could lead to breakthroughs in understanding and interacting with brain activity. Absolutely. And for our listeners who are curious about the technical details, the EEG encoder captures the spatial and temporal features of the EEG signals. While the GPT model part, well, it's trained using this innovative causal masking to predict the next chunk of EEG data based on the previous chunks. It's fascinating that they've taken inspiration from how we process language and applied it to how we might interpret the brain's electrical signals. Now, Jen, should we talk about how they train this model? Definitely. They used a large public dataset called the TUH EEG corpus with over 5,600 hours of EEG recordings. After some serious pre-processing, they trained their model to learn from this data. And when they fine-tuned their model on the smaller motor imagery task, the results were pretty stellar. The pre-trained model significantly outperformed the models that were trained from scratch. It really underscores the power of transfer learning using knowledge gained in one area to assist in another, much like humans do. Exactly. And moving forward, there's potential to improve the EEG encoder to handle different types of EEG setups, or even to combine EEG data with other types of data for a more comprehensive understanding. It's truly an exciting step forward in the field. Before we sign off, we should note that you don't have to be a neuroscientist or a machine learning expert to appreciate the potential impact of this work. Absolutely. The applications for something like this could range from medical diagnostics to innovative ways for people to interact with technology. On that note, we hope you enjoyed this episode. Tom, any final thoughts? Just that this is one of those moments where science fiction edges closer to science fact, and I can't wait to see where it leads. Agree, Tom, and thanks to everyone for tuning into our podcast. We hope you found this deep dive both informative and inspiring. Until next time, keep your curiosity charged. And keep questioning the world around you. Goodbye, everyone. Welcome back, Space Cadets. Before we launch into our next segment, we're buzzing with excitement to tell you about our sponsor, Galactic Buzz Apiaries, Inc. Strap on your rocket boots, because we're not just going to any beehive, we're going intergalactic. Ever wonder what honey tastes like on Jupiter? How about a dip in the sweet rings of Saturn? 
Galactic Buzz Apiaries has you covered. With a swarm of space-suited alien beekeepers working in zero gravity, they bring you honey so out of this world you'll think it's science fiction. And it's not just the bees that are aliens. They have nectar from Nebula 9 and comets crammed with honeycomb. Forget flowers. These bees buzz around entire planets to get the juiciest cosmic pollen. Where every honeycomb is an otherworldly discovery. They're not just selling honey. They're selling an interstellar adventure in every jar. So why settle for earthbound honey when you can treat your taste buds to the supernova of sweetness? Visit Galactic Buzz Apiaries, Inc. And remember, in space, no one can hear you scream with delight at our honey. And now, back to our cosmic conversation. Stay tuned and stay sweet, listeners. Hello, and welcome back to our podcast. I'm Tom. And I'm Jen. Today, we have a fascinating episode for you where we'll be sorting out Quantum Monte Carlo. That's right, Jen. We're diving into a paper that explores a novel approach to molecular modeling at the quantum level. To start off, we need to understand why this is important. Quantum Monte Carlo methods, or QMC, help scientists model the wave function for systems of quantum particles, like an atom or a molecule. But there's a catch. When simulating fermions, which are a type of quantum particle, we must obey the Pauli exclusion principle. This means the wave function must be antisymmetric when we switch any two particles. Exactly, Tom. Traditionally, this is done using the antisymmetry of determinants, but that's computationally heavy. Computing a full determinant involves cubic scaling, that's ON3, with respect to the number of particles involved. And that's where this paper makes a leap. Instead of determinants, the researchers introduce something called the sortlet, which scales as ON log N. That's a huge improvement. The sortlet achieves this by using sorting, a much cheaper computational alternative to ensure antisymmetry. It's a clever trick because sorting naturally respects the ordering of particles. Now the paper demonstrates that this sortlet, when combined with a neural network architecture, can accurately simulate the ground state of various atoms and small molecules. But why is this so significant? Well, by reducing the computational complexity, we open up the possibility of simulating much larger systems, potentially up to thousands of electrons. For those listening who might be overwhelmed by the technical details, imagine you're organizing a huge library of books. The traditional method, using determinants, is like having to rearrange the entire library each time you add a new book. On the other hand, the sortlet method is like just inserting the new book in its correct place according to an alphabetical sorting system it's much more efficient and scalable. Absolutely. And while this new method still has some hurdles to clear, the initial results show promise for more complex simulations in quantum chemistry. Before we sign off, we'd love to know your thoughts on today's topic. What do you think about the sortlet ANSATs? And if you're as fascinated by quantum computing as we are, what other aspects would you like us to explore? Let us know by sending us a message or leaving a comment on our website. Thanks for tuning in, and we hope today's episode has expanded your knowledge about the quantum world. Until next time, stay curious, stay informed, and we'll continue to bring you interesting discussions here on our podcast. Goodbye. Do you ever feel like you need an extra hand or eight? Then we've got some arms to introduce you to. Give a round of applause, or should we say tentacle slap, to Kraken Tentacle Tech, Inc., 
the proud sponsor of our podcast. At Kraken Tentacle Tech, they don't squid around. From the boardroom to the bedroom, these tentacles are making waves. Need to cook dinner, answer emails, and give yourself a scalp massage? Their flagship Kraken quill is making multitaskers out of monopods everywhere. Eight ink tips means you can write your grocery list, pen a love letter, and work on your memoirs all at once. And with their tentacle tech, say goodbye to traditional fashion. Dive into the octo-wear line for that extra embrace in sweater form. Ever dream of a hug from a Kraken while you relax? The squishy yet firm embrace of a Kraken tentacle tech massage chair is like a spa day with a sea monster. Assembly line inefficiency? Pfft, not anymore. Their multi-limb robotic arms will have your products assembled faster than you can say, release the Kraken. And the best part, Jen? It's all bio-friendly. These genetically engineered tentacles are saving the planet, one sucker at a time. So, visit Kraken Tentacle Tech Inc. and get your tentacles on their products today. Just don't be surprised when you start getting octopied with all your new activities. Kraken Tentacle Tech Inc. Wiggling into hearts and homes with innovative solutions that'll make you ink with joy. And welcome back, everyone. This is your favorite podcast station, bringing you another enlightening episode. I'm your host, Tom. And I'm Jen, and together we're here to unwrap the complex world of technology and science in a way that's fun and accessible. Today, we're diving into a rather sophisticated topic, LLM augmented hierarchical agents. And no, we're not just throwing out big words to confuse you. That's right, Tom. LLM stands for Large Language Models, which are basically these ginormous computer programs that have read so much text that they've become incredibly good at understanding and generating human language. One of the magical aspects of these LLMs is their ability to possess a surprising amount of knowledge, much like if you read the entire internet. Which brings us to hierarchical agents. Imagine you're trying to cook a lavish meal. You don't just throw everything into a pot and hope for the best, right? You follow steps, chop onions, boil water, and so on. Exactly, Jen. Those are similar to what we'd call the subtask policies in hierarchical reinforcement learning, or HRL. HRL is a way to teach agents like robots or artificial intelligences how to perform complex tasks by breaking them down into these smaller, more manageable steps. But here's the kicker. Usually, these agents have to learn everything from scratch, with no prior knowledge. And that can be incredibly time-consuming and inefficient. Right. And this is where the paper we're talking about today gets really exciting. It's about combining the world knowledge of LLMs with the subtask execution prowess of RL agents to form some sort of super hierarchized assistant. I'd say super agent, Tom. So what these researchers from the University of Maryland, Baltimore County, and Johns Hopkins University are proposing is a way to use LLMs to guide these agents. In simple terms, imagine you had a wise old sage whispering hints to you as you learned a new task. This sage isn't controlling you, he's just nudging you in the right direction based on his vast knowledge. This sage is the LLM providing a high-level policy broader strategies or plans based on its extensive reading, not tied to specific actions, but giving an overall direction. The researchers found that this method helps the agent to learn the tasks more quickly and efficiently. And you might be wondering what sorts of tasks these agents are learning. Well, these are not mere parlor tricks, dear listeners. We're talking simulation environments, like a robot learning to manage a farm or manipulate blocks, 
and a real robot arm learning to perform tasks like tidying up or complex movements. This approach has a brilliant advantage. Once trained, the agent doesn't need access to the LLM anymore. It absorbs the world knowledge it needs during training and then operates independently. It's like teaching someone to fish versus just giving them a fish, Tom. They teach the agent how to fish for solutions in the ocean of possibilities based on the LLM's fishing tips. Couldn't have put it better myself, Jen. And on that note, why don't we wrap up this episode and let our listeners ponder the future of autonomous agents, boosted by the incredible power of LLMs. Indeed. Don't forget to like and subscribe for more mind-blowing talks from your favorite hosts. Until next time, this is Jen. And Tom, signing off. Keep learning and stay curious. Welcome back to our intergalactic taste adventure, sponsored by the one and only Galactic Noodle Nebula, Inc. Folks, are you ready to rocket fuel your dinner routine? Say goodbye to ordinary noodles. Because at Galactic Noodle Nebula, they don't just make pasta. They make pasta that's literally out of this world. With their Astro Spaghetti, your fork becomes a spaceship. And every bite is a mission through flavor space. Can you imagine those weightless meatballs, Jen? Oh yes, Tom, and that supernova sauce? It's hotter than a hypernova. I hear their pasta absorbs the charisma of the cosmos. And the delivery. Their saucers swoop down with such precision, you'd think they're parking on the dark side of the moon. But no, they're landing right at your doorstep. So folks, if you want to experience the ultimate pasta encounter, visit Galactic Noodle Nebula, Inc. And together, we warp your taste buds to another dimension.